0: Welcome to the In The Cut Fantasy Sports Podcast with your hosts, John Fish and Ryan Venancio. What's up, everybody? Welcome in episode 24. We got a, uh, a day version today, uh, middle, middle of the day. So we got that going for us. We got top... Fifteen starting pitching talk today. Uh, I am your host John Fish, joined as always by Ryan Venancio. What's up, Ryan?
1: What's going on, Fish? I'm. Um, uh, these day pods are growing on me. I did one on Saturday, and now I'm doing another one today. Kind of, kind of digging it actually. Um, yeah,
0: I'm off off work for the week, so it's it's nice to um, get some get some day pods in while the kids are at school. Uh, my wife's actually at work, so uh, I'm home. I got a couple hours, so it's a good time to get one in.
1: Oh, yeah. And today we have a special guest, um, one of my good friends, Diego. Um, Diego is not, uh, you know, you're a little bit of a fantasy player, but not so much anymore. Um, but he does work in the scouting industry, and I thought he'd be a great person to have on the pod to talk pitching. Uh, so, Diggs, again, welcome. And why don't you explain to everyone like what you do with scouting and everything?
2: Yeah, I, I firstly, uh, special was, was a reach. I don't know. I wouldn't say special guest. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, I work with Prep Baseball Report. So it's like, I mean, I, I guess it's like the country's biggest high school scouting company. Uh, I do Illinois and Missouri. I did a bunch of stuff in Wisconsin while I was in college. Um, so I see a lot of baseball players, a lot of high school baseball players, um, college baseball stuff, too. Um, basically, just like. We run showcases, we run tournaments. Um, it's a pretty big brand. There's a there's a PBR that's like our moniker, not not Paps Blue Ribbon or Professional Bull Riding, uh, but there's a PBR in basically every single state at this point. So um, it's pretty cool. I mean, I I wake up every day and I I, I work in baseball, so can't really uh, can't really ask for much there.
1: No, it's a uh, dope. Super jealous about that. And you're just someone that I like, even though like obviously we're good friends. But uh, anytime I have like a question about, you know, not mechanics, but anything like pitching related or hitting related, um, I go to you and you're you've been really helpful to me, just like teaching me about baseball the last couple of years. So thankful for that. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I,
2: I do love pitching. Uh, I, I did pitch for four years uh, in college. So yeah. Um, Definitely, like, I mean, that's it's kind of like a mutual relationship because I've you've taught me a lot about hitting stuff, so uh, really helpful in that regard. But um, I think like my favorite thing about baseball is like the mechanical pitching side of things. Like, we live in a world now where there's everything is data driven, um, there's so many advancements in the pitching side of things, especially uh, from a data standpoint, like stuff that you can't really see with the naked eye, Um, like obviously if you're at a baseball game, you're going to see a 98 mile an hour fastball and be like, wow, that's really hard. But then you're going to see some hitter turn on it and send it 440 feet. And you don't really understand how a human being can hit a 98 mile an hour baseball uh, coming at them from 60 feet, six inches that far. But in reality, like 198 is different than the other in terms of how they move and how it comes out and where it comes out of. So like all, all, all that stuff has really, really fascinated me truthfully for the last couple of years. And it, it has led me down a, a deep rabbit hole, essentially. So,
1: No, I love it. And before we go, like, let's just get into it right now. Um, so I'm just going to ask you a few relative like, pitching questions, and then we're going to go into the fantasy talk. Um, so the first thing, what is one thing a pitcher has to have in order for you to be in on them, whether it's just like one trait, uh, a certain velocity, anything, like that
2: uh okay so i'm not going to generalize it like not everyone's going to have it because like there are guys that get away with not having this uh whether it be like they are like truly elite command guys or they throw like sidearm or like low three quarters or it's, it's like a funky operation but I would say for the majority of pitchers, like the number one thing that I would say you quote unquote like have to have is you have to have a good fastball. That doesn't mean you have to have a hard fastball. Um, because like like I said earlier, 198 is 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 not the same as the other, but something about your fastball, whether it be like The vertical break, um, having really good vertical break from a high slot. Uh, Maybe you're a sinker guy and it it moves like 20 inches horizontally. Uh, Something about the fastball has to be good. To me, if you have a bad fastball, and there are guys that have bad fastballs. Actually, some guys we'll talk about today that have bad fastballs that get away with it because they are elite locators or they have elite off-speed pitches and they just don't throw their fastball a whole lot. But most guys that are towards the top of every single pitching list every year and honestly on this ADP board have elite fastballs. And they do it in different ways, but at the end of the day, they still have like elite fastballs. So that's my biggest thing personally.
1: Yeah, and I totally agree with that. Um, it's something I lo- I think you've sort of pushed me even more in that direction. But even before uh, we started talking you know, in-depth pitching, that was something I always looked at because you know it's the pitch you're going to throw the most, right? or yeah. most pitchers are going to throw more often. So it has to be um, a good pitch uh, in the long run. Um, so next, uh, sort of tying into what we just talked about. So um, do you believe in an arm just off data, or do you actually have to go watch them and pair it with the data to, you know, get a whole picture of what you think of someone?
2: Yeah, I, I, data is great. Uh, it's, it's truly awesome. I think the data gives you something that you can't see or can't fully understand with your eyes. Um, I will always say that you have to see something first uh, and then use the data to support it. Um, I don't think baseball is a game that you can play on a spreadsheet, basically. I don't think that you could accurately paint a full picture of somebody basically just by looking at numbers. There's so many things that go into it. Uh, this is just more from like a scouting standpoint. Obviously, from like with big leaguers, um, they're all really good because they're in the big leagues for a reason. So like I would probably lean more data centric in that regard. You're not gonna be able to sit there and watch every single baseball game. There's 162 of them and they're all nine innings. But like if I'm evaluating somebody, I I definitely need to see it um in whether it's in a bullpen whether it's in the game because there's so many things that go into baseball like you know if if somebody just sent me a player's data i wouldn't know if it was 35 degrees outside i wouldn't know if it was raining i wouldn't know if it was super windy um all i i wouldn't know that this guy gave up eight runs in two innings but his data is super awesome um so I like the data. I really do. It's obviously important. You would be a fool to disregard data, but your eyes are not going to fail you really. That's just my opinion. So.
1: No, that's interesting too, because, um, you know, location's a huge part of, uh, pitching too. So like watching a guy, being able to locate all of his pitches on both sides of the plate is obviously something that's huge and not necessarily something you would find in the data. Um, what is one narrative or, you know, like generalization you see on Twitter slash like the fantasy industry that people are just um, not 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 right about, but just off on the way, um, you know, off off on the way they think about?
2: OK, I have two. So the first one is I'm always this is like more of a new school thing, but I'm always going to take a guy and bank on a guy and bet on a guy that has really good stuff, but doesn't really all the time know where it's going. Um, over a guy that has below average or even average stuff, but is really good at putting it consistently in the right spot. Um, there's been like a lot of examples of guys like that, and especially with the way that 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 baseball is going nowadays, like there's no shift anymore. Like you can still shift kind of, but you can't really shift to like the, you know, like the third baseman in right field kind of thing. Um, And defense as a whole for me, because of that, like teams value offense way more than they value defense. And that means that teams are okay with putting below average defenders in the field because they can hit. Um, And the way you overcome that is by striking people out, right? If you strike guys out and you miss bats, they're not going to put the ball in play and the less balls put in play the less of a chance your defense has to mess up basically. And if that means that I'm going to roll a guy out there like Dustin May, who was not really particularly great last year, but seriously probably has some of the craziest stuff I've ever seen out of anybody. um, I'm going to do that. I'm going to bank on a 25, 26 year old Dustin May figuring it out. Uh, Dylan Cease was that way too, right? Massive breakout year last year. Mm -hmm. Didn't always, you know, throw the most strikes, but his stuff is ridiculous. Um, I, I I would just think the guys that have that level of talent that can do that kind of stuff with a baseball, those guys are going to figure it out one day, especially if they play for good organizations. Um, so that's my first thing. And the second thing, not that people are totally off about this. I just think like the, the two pitch thing is, is overblown. Sometimes I really do like, There are guys that have two pitches that are good. Obviously, Spencer Strider seriously only throws two pitches, and he just had one of the best rookie seasons ever. But even the guys that people say throw like three pitches, um, they really don't. Like just because they throw that third pitch, five, six, seven, eight percent of the time doesn't mean they have it. And my opinion is like, if you have two elite pitches, like why would you throw a third pitch that's not good just to throw it? Um, glass now was that way before he started throwing a slider. Like he had an awesome fastball and a really good breaking ball that paired off of it. And everybody wanted him to throw a changeup. It's like, if the guy doesn't know what he's doing, what, why I just, it doesn't really make sense to me. A couple of years ago, Denelson Lamette was awesome. And I firmly believe if he didn't get hurt and have Tommy John, that he would have been awesome. And we'd be talking about Denelson Lamette as like a frontline guy for the Padres right now. Um, don't get me wrong. If you have three, you know, above average to plus pitches, uh, throw them like, that's awesome. Super. I mean, like you're just, you're, you're adding more tools to your tool belt, but if you have a guy that has two really good pitches, I, I I just don't see the need to really add a third one in just, just to have it. Um, and if, if the argument is that guys with two pitches are only going to throw five innings, like, like two times through the lineup. I mean that's what everybody does, right? Like we we, we live in an era where the, the starting pitcher going six, seven, eight innings is not a thing anymore. There's very few guys that do that. So if the whole if most of the league isn't really going a third time through, then why does it matter? You know?
1: No, I a hundred percent agree with you, especially on the two-pitch thing. Um, and I know we had talked about it back and forth a lot with Glass now and Danelson Lamette. It's like if you have two pitches that are that elite, you're just by throwing, like again, you said this, but uh, by throwing a third pitch, you're just throwing your elite pitches less. Like, that doesn't make any sense as to why someone would do that. Um, so, lastly, before we go into the fantasy portion of the pod, I wanted to ask you what what is one trend you think we see in the future with pitchers that we haven't seen from the league as a whole yet? And um, it could be like a certain pitch type that doesn't get thrown as much that you think will get thrown more or something like anything that has to do with pitching.
2: Okay, I have two. Again, uh, I'll try to make these quick. The first one is, so we talked about earlier about how all fastballs are are, are really different and the trendy thing for the longest time uh, and, and really the Houston Astros kind of patented it, but obviously other teams do it too is the high fastball paired off with a really good breaking ball. Um, Sort of that like high vertical break fastball. And for me, those fastballs are successful coming from two arm slots. Okay, You have the guys that go from over the top, like Justin Verlander. He has a crazy good fastball. He throws from straight over the top. The ball stays up in the zone because it comes from that high slot. So it basically to a hitter, like if you've ever played baseball and, and you're a hitter, a fastball right at your hands is like the most appealing pitch to swing at because it's like right on the borderline of being a strike and people always swing at it. And that is why those guys that work towards the top of the zone get so many whiffs. Um, And then you have guys that come from low slots, but they create natural backspin. So they stay behind the baseball. Like you ever heard that saying, Hey, stay behind the baseball, stay behind the baseball. So their fingers actually stay behind the seams and they create kind of like a mimic that the baseball is, is, is rising. Now, baseballs don't rise because gravity, right? Gravity pulls it down. But to the hitter, because it comes from a low slot, it's perceived that the baseball is rising, okay? So, like, those th- those type of pitchers saw great success for the longest time because so many hitters were trying to just hit a bunch of home runs, Okay. And how do you hit home runs? You elevate the baseball. So you saw all these hitters have these really, like, kind of big uphill swings, basically. Well, how are you going to hit a fastball at the top of the zone that's technically, like, it looks like it's rising to you if you have a really big swing that's engineered to hit balls towards the bottom of the zone, right, like to elevate the baseball? Um, And what happened was, like, the hitters adjusted, and now you'll see a bunch of hitters, basically, they just – decided to go with flat bat paths. Um, And like, if you're going to hit a straight fastball, you have to match the bat path with it. And the only way you do that is if you keep your bat flat through the zone so that the barrel meets the baseball on the same plane that results in you hitting a home run, basically. Um, And where I'm going with this is that there were so many guys that were basically, and I, I, I did this when I was in college, I tried to pitch up in the zone because I thought, that, you know, hey, everyone's doing it, so I should do it. And the reality was is that people do that, but not everybody has a good enough fastball to play up in the zone. So then you get these fastballs that are called dead zone fastballs, which is basically like they don't have the the elite backspin and the elite carry that a guy like Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole or Shane McClanahan produces. They're really just flat, straight fastballs that don't do anything cool, and those pitches get hammered. It's the reason why you see a 99-mile-an-hour fastball getting turned around for a home run because it's not a good fastball. The only thing good about it is that it's hard, okay, but hitters can hit velocity. So there's a lot of guys that have that. Shane Bieber, for example. He doesn't have a very good fastball, uh, but he's really good because he basically decided to stop throwing his, his, his fastball. And started to really work in more of his off-speed pitches because he has three really good off-speed pitches. And I think the 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 trend I, that I think is going to happen is the data that you that we that all these teams have at their disposal on all of the guys in the big leagues. I think teams are literally going to tell people that have bad fastballs to stop throwing your fastball. And I think the 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 thing that's really going to uptick in this is going to be sliders. Uh, because the number one pitch to miss bats is sliders uh, because they move horizontally uh, and they're just way harder to hit, especially if they're thrown really, really hard. So I would expect that a bunch of guys, especially right-handed pitchers, because most of the hitters in the league are handed, are going to just start throwing a ton of sliders. And it's already happening. So I'm not not like I'm not sitting here um, like breaking anything new to you guys. But... Uh, yeah. I seriously think that that over the next five years you're gonna stop you you're gonna start seeing a bunch of dudes essentially turn their slider or whatever elite off-speed pitch they have into their primary offering like you know when you play MLB the show and the X button is always the fastball I think that's gonna change I think it's gonna be like hey we're just gonna stop throwing fastballs because guys are so good at hitting them and the second one is, So I talked about how like a bunch of hitters were trying to hit home runs and you hit a home run with more of an uphill bat path. So that's why people started throwing fastballs up in the zone. So now I think because guys are, um, more flatter with their swings, I think people are going to start throwing a bunch more sinkers. I think the sinker with like the 1990s, early two thousands thing where it was super popular, um, like the hitters adjusted. So now the pitchers have to adjust. And I think you're going to see a bunch of dudes start throwing a bunch of really, really, really hard sinkers, like 98 to hundred mile an hour sinkers down in the zone, because those pitches move so much now with like how good people are at teaching pitching, that it's just going to be so much harder to hit. And then the hitters will go back to trying to hit the balls uh, down in the zone. And then the hitters will go, uh, the, the pitchers will go back to working up in the zone so it's like a constant you know, adjustment and, and readjustment type of thing. But yeah, yeah. more sliders and more sinkers is basically what I think will happen, which will be interesting because sinkers are typically ground ball pitches and we don't have a shift anymore. So I think that's going to change how teams view defense. They're going to value defense more, which is then is going to make your guys that can't play defense on the infield but really hit less valuable in a way. So it's like pitching mm-hmm. – Pitching changes the whole game of baseball. Whatever the guy on the mound is doing affects literally everything, the whole roster, Um, and that's like crazy to me how it all revolves around that. But
1: no, no, that's crazy. And again, you made a made a lot of good points. Um, And we've got one
2: thing. uh, Sorry, Ryan, I
1: got one
0: thing. Um, Go ahead. like like Diego was saying like with um like Shane Bieber like throwing a secondary stuff more it's like <clears throat> why don't these pitchers do this right away like every time you see a pitcher break out it's because oh, they threw their fastball less and threw their you know secondary stuff more it's like why don't they do that right away so then there's not a down year
2: before the breakout i think there i think there's a lot of things that go into that um Honestly, I think for some guys that throw like 95 to 96 miles an hour, it's kind of hard for them to get behind the fact that they just don't have a good fastball. Um, You know what I mean? Like if I'm pumping Mm -hmm. gas and it's getting lit up, like there is an element to like, hey, man, I'm throwing really hard. I want to blow this pitch right by you, and you can't do that with how good the hitters are. Especially Um, when it worked
0: in in the lower
2: levels, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's seriously like such a good point. Like when pitchers dominate the minor leagues. Okay. And they come up to the big leagues and they struggle. It happens so much. They were doing things in the minors that gets those guys out, but that n- almost never translate to the big leagues, right? Like you have to readjust. So like, if I'm a guy like exactly how you said, and I'm blowing fastballs right by guys then and now i'm facing the texas rangers and they're teeing off my fastball i'm like what the hell is going on why would i want to change that if, if i've had success with it before um and i think uh, uh, the second thing bieber is kind of an anomaly because the, the guardians are so good as as an organization but i think like organizationally speaking there's still some teams that are stuck behind like the ways um there are not they like they all have data they all have all these things but like there are there are certainly a gap um, in terms of which orgs are more advanced than others with this kind of stuff. And you see it every year. We all know who they are. Um, but like a guy who potentially has bad fastball on the Pittsburgh Pirates is probably not going to get the same amount of you know help and stuff than a guy in the Dodgers or the Astros. So there's a bunch of stuff that goes into it. Um, but I like like the minors thing was such a good point, Fish. I, I I can't emphasize that enough. How people don't really factor that in.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, but let's um, let's dive into fantasy now. Um, again, I really appreciate really appreciate you coming on and like giving all of that pitching insight. I know it's kind of a lot to handle at once, but um, I think it's gonna be. Really cool for people to take all that in. Um, So now we're going to start with, even though Otani, you're most likely going to draft him as a bat. um, We're just going to talk about him pitching wise, because in a DC, you're still going to use him as a pitcher, at least a few times, in my opinion. Uh, That's how I would draft him. Um, So Deegs, what do you think about uh, Otani this early? Um, If you're drafting, if you're doing a a draft and hold this type of, what a DC is and uh, Otani is utility and a pitcher. And keep in mind, this is a uh, a bi-weekly league. So you have to, you check your lineup from Monday through Thursday and then Friday through Sunday. So if you decide to use Otani as an arm, you can't then switch him as a bat uh, the second half of the week. You get what I'm saying? So you you basically have to pick whether he's a hitter or a pitcher for the certain week. Um, So if you're drafting Otani in the first round, um you think it's okay to use him as a hitter some weeks and as a pitcher some weeks? Like is he that good of an arm in your opinion?
2: So I think it's going to depend and I like I've been listening to like obviously all offseason some fantasy podcasts and like some people saying that the Angels are going to let him like s- like throw every 6 days. So there will be some weeks where he pitches twice. Um like if you can do that then yes because the guy is amazing. I mean, he's seriously, unbelievable. I, I was, I, I've been thinking that this guy, there's no way that he's gonna hold up for the longest time. Like he had all these arm problems uh, when he first came over. Like he had the PRP injections. Um, I don't love the profile, really. I like, I really don't like the guy. Guys that throw splitters really scare me, um, especially when they throw 100 mile an hour fastballs, uh, and especially like there's a pretty good track record of Japanese players coming over that throw splitters and not like, like not staying healthy, not having success. This guy's an alien. I mean, he's seriously like probably he's like the best player ever, probably talent wise. So uh, I, you know, I've, I've seen some people make the argument that like he should be the number one player. And I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disagree. I'm really not. He's so good. So, so good.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. He is um he's an unbelievable talent and I just can't I can't fade him in the middle of the first round. Uh Fish, do you find yourself drafting any Otani? And if you do, are you gonna split the hitting and pitching up whether uh, you know, whatever that percentage is, or are you just strictly gonna use him as a bet?
0: No, if I'm taking him, I'm gonna I'm gonna use him as a pitcher sometimes too. It just it kind of depends week to week. Um, especially in drafting holds we all know how dropping holes go there's no in-season pickups so you're gonna run into some injuries so if you're if your pitching staff is getting hit with injuries then you can use otani there so it's really nice to have that flexibility um but for the most part i'm almost always going to try to keep him in as a hitter but um yeah i mean if you got you know if you're let's say your number five or six starters have tough matchups for a week you probably don't want to throw them. You could move Otani there as long as you've got, you know, some hitting to back it up. So, uh, yeah, I think he's well worth the mid-round first-round first, first round price.
1: Yeah, yeah, again, I totally agree. He's just he's too much of a freak for me to not uh, want to draft. Um, next off the board is Corbin Burns. He's basically the first true pitcher going off the board. Um, I've heard uh, no one's, like, talking badly about Corbin Burns. If you think people are worried about his second-half tail-off, And, um, you know, he just has five-plus pitches. Uh, His cutter is one of the best pitches in all of baseball. Um, Just ridiculous to throw a a 98-mile-an-hour cutter as your primary pitch and have, like, all of the secondaries that he does. Um, Again, the last two months of the season, his strikeout rates were down, but I really – like, all the underlying stuff um, and just looking at his stuff, like, in general, in terms of, like, how, how, like, his pitches looked, we're just – it's the same as, as it has been the last couple of years. Um, he had a 40% chase rate and a 15% swinging strike rate the last 6 starts of the season. So I really don't think there's anything to worry about with Corbin Burns. Uh, he is my SP1 uh going into the season. So I just, you know, I don't think there's anything to worry about. Uh Diggs, what are your thoughts on um Milwaukee Brewer ace Corbin Burns?
2: Yeah, so I mean he struggled down the second half whatever. I mean, he still finished the year with 202 innings and 243 strikeouts, made 3 led the league in starts. Uh I, I think he's the best pitcher in baseball I, I i really do like if i had to hand the ball to somebody in like a game seven it would be corbin burns um the stuff is off the charts like you said he misses a ton of bats um he's gonna he's getting to the point where he's gonna have to get paid here soon and you know obviously like like that motivates players more even though he's already amazing so i i would i would definitely not be concerned about corbin burns at all really i mean there's no like, like like 200 innings last year, I would definitely expect him to get close to that again. Um, so, no worries for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's just too, he's just too good. That's really all it comes down to. Um, so, Fish, two questions. One, are you taking Garrett Cole or Corbin Burns if you were to pick in the first round and they're both there? And then um, – well, actually, no, just go into that. I'm sorry. Just go into Cor- Garrett Cole or Corbin Burns. Who would you draft if the two of them were there?
0: Yeah, I'd take Corbin Burns. I mean, two years in a row, sub-three area, sub-one whip, tons of strikeouts. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what there isn't to like about him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe the wins might not fully be there, but, you know, they still have a pretty good, uh, you know, a decent bullpen, even though they traded Hader. Um, but the lineup is obviously a little shaky, and that's, you know, kind of what you're looking at when you're when you looking at wins. Uh, you know, in that aspect, maybe Cole has a, a few more wins, but – there's, um, yeah, like I said, sub three ERA, two years in a row, sub one whip, sign me up.
1: And why don't you go into your, we thoughts, go, uh, um, can we go, can,
2: can we just parlay this into, uh, into the Garrett Cole thing real quick?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Go ahead.
2: Yep. Okay. So, so I understand like, like Garrett Cole in, like, in terms of volume, like you can basically pencil them in for almost 200 innings. Um. And in terms of strikeouts, like he punched out 257 guys this year. It's pretty unbelievable. Um, Gary Cole's amazing. Uh, I do think with how good the AL East is, uh, Gary Cole has kind of like that almost maximized, like fully optimized fastball we were talking about earlier. Uh, He gets almost perfect carry and, and, and backspin on it up in the zone the problem with that and obviously his secondary stuff if you watch him pitch, is, is ridiculous he's a master at spinning the baseball but the problem with having a a basically perfectly backspun fastball is that it's really straight you're back spinning it so you're not creating much horizontal movement on it and if you miss and you don't hit a spot uh those those pitches get get hammered for home runs um the AL East is a really good division. Uh, there's some pretty good uh, hitters parks in that division. Uh, and and he's going to give up home runs. I mean, he had like 1.5 home run per nine innings last year, 3.5 ERA. Uh, he's awesome. He gave up a league high 33 home runs last year. We saw this with Justin Verlander that one year where he led the league in giving home runs, uh, but was still awesome. Um, I would just be a little concerned about Garrett Cole's ERA Basically being the same uh as it was last year. He is gonna win a bunch of games. He's on a great team. He's gonna punch out a bunch of guys. You can lock him in for his innings, but I don't think he's the best pitcher on his team, really. And I think Corbin Burns is the best pitcher in baseball. So I don't, I would definitely take Burns with all the positives that Cole brings to the table.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: If you look, if you look at Cole, I mean three, five ERA last year, three, two, three ERA the year before. Um, and then both seasons whips were obviously good, but you know, we're talking about as SP one here. So, uh, 102 and 106. So yeah, it's it Burns for me. Great point on the home runs. I was going to mention that as well with Cole, uh, you know, two seasons in a row now where he's, um, you know, actually three seasons if you count the, the short season, but, uh, yeah, one, 1.48 home runs per nine and in 2022 is obviously not good.
1: Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. And I'm, I'm, I'm in on Cole. Um, I know you weren't shitting on him, but I, I told, I'm i in agreement that I would take Burns over him. Um, I have Cole as my SP3. Uh, the, one, the person I have above him is the next guy we're going to talk about, and that's Jacob DeGrom. Um, he's my SP2. Um, and his innings have been a concern lately. Yes, that is true. But he was healthy to end last season. And I don't even know if it's an opinion anymore. I think he's the best pitcher of all time. Um, at least current Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher of all time. Um, so, Diggs, I'll throw this over to you. Does his recent injury history and the fact that it was 100 miles an hour so consistently concern you about his health moving forward?
2: Oh, man. do You really You really had to ask me that. Um... <laughs> <sighs> uh, okay, here, here's where I'm at with DeGrom. Um, if I was, like, showing if, – if I was – Trying to teach a bunch of 15 year olds how they should, what their delivery should look like down the mound in terms of like basically what, what is a perfect windup look like? Uh, and, and movement patterns downhill. It's Jacob DeGrom. I mean, seriously, it's like the most amazing thing ever how good he is at, at moving and, and getting his arm in the right position and the amount of flexibility he gets like getting into his lats and his lower half like basically what i'm saying is the guy should not be getting injured with how well of a mover he is it's like he takes so much stress off every part of his body that like the only reason why he's having problems is because he throws a hundred miles an hour basically consistently Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and that's not gonna change it's really not like he's gonna keep throwing a hundred miles an hour Uh, I would be, I would be a little worried about the injuries. I would, I would. Um, now it's like, it's, it's, it's the thing we do with Byron Buxton. Like, Oh man, if this guy ever stays healthy, he's going to win the MVP. Jacob DeGrom ever stays healthy for, for a full season. It'll be like 1998 or whatever. Pedro Martinez, where he was like the best. It was like the best season ever because the guy is the best pitcher ever. I mean, he has got the best stuff. I've ever seen and probably ever will see it. I would, if I was putting like a lot of money into a draft, man, I don't know if I would take that guy. It would, it would really, you, you would be sweating every single time he took the mound.
1: So you, so, I so do you think like 120, 130 innings is attainable? Or do you think like he literally can't stay healthy?
2: and. <sighs> 15, 120. Yeah. Yeah. I think he could, he could, you know, if, if it all goes right. Yeah. Um, I think too with the Grom, like, I'm, I'm really interested to see what the Rangers do because they just paid him a bunch of money. Um, but it's like, you know, that if you know that, like, you can't run this guy out there for six or seven innings every, every day or every five days. So I'm, I'm I'm curious if if they like protect the investment and they only let him go five innings or if they understand like hey, we gotta get the absolute most out of this guy like like whatever happens happens, if he breaks down, he breaks down, we'll just bite the bullet and eat the money and they just let him go until he gets hurt. Um, if he throws 120 innings, it'll be like the best 120 inning like 120 innings ever. Uh, so like if, if you feel good about that happening, great i don't personally i would be pretty worried about it because it's it's like so many parts of his upper body in the last three years have gotten injured that that's just a great predictor of something that'll happen next and it it really makes me sad to say that because he's so good it's so good for the game of baseball but he's on the mound but it's really concerning it's it, it, it it really is
1: that's an interesting perspective because I've actually um I've taken Degrom a few times and granted it's been in the third round, so I just feel like it's worth the risk taking the best pitcher ever in the third round, but it does make me uh, a little more skeptical uh, hearing you say that. Um, Fish is Degrom someone uh, you would take? Obviously, he's moved up to the second round now, but is he someone yeah. you'd be able to take in the second round?
0: Um, probably not. Uh, I get it, and you guys have already basically hit on it. Like, he's when he does pitch, he's easily the best pitcher in baseball. It's not really even close either. Um, here's what I'll say if I were to take the I would be taking a high innings pitch pitcher with him. So, somebody like Aaron Nola, uh, I think would pair awesome with the gram because you're going to get likely 200 innings from no, from Nola.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I would not pair the gram with like Spencer Strider, um, as much as like Brandon Woodruff, he, he's not really a high innings guy either, uh, at least hasn't been for his career. So I probably <laughs> would not pair him with Brandon Woodruff. Um, you know, Cease could be somebody I could do that with, but yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's, a. you know, when you're investing, you know, decent amount of money in drafts, it's, uh, it's, it's really tough for me to select the ground.
1: No, totally makes sense, and I'm I'm sort of on the fence. Like I want, I I obviously don't want him on a lot of teams, but I definitely want some. It's like you want
2: where he's going. You want you want to do it because he's so good, but it's like, man, I was putting like 500 bucks into a draft. Do I really want like that guy who's the kind of like a ticking time bomb on my team? I don't know. I don't know. That's really scary. It makes me so sad. It makes me so sad.
1: Yeah, it does suck. He's the again. He's the best pitcher of all time. But what can you do? I guess was the reason why the Mets moved on. Um, so next on the board is Sandy Alcantara. Um, he was someone I was super in on last year. I think. Um, looking at someone's FanGraphs page, like we've sort of talked about, um, uh, all along the pod, is that it. Um, you don't really get to see how good sandy alcantara really is unless you like watch him pitch and look at how disgusting his pitches really are um granted he's going in the second round this year opposed to i think he was going the fourth last year so it's a bit of a difference but um digs we'll throw it over to you first uh even though he doesn't quite miss as many bats as the arms around him that we've already talked about do you think sandy deserves to go this high uh
2: again i love him uh this is like Yes, I do because he's amazing. Like he threw 220, basically 230 innings last year in an era where nobody does that. He threw six complete games. Um, he still struck out over 200 guys. There are some things that worry me with him. First of all, the Marlins are terrible. Um, and he's not going to win a bunch of games because the Marlins are terrible unless he literally wills them to victory, like he did so many times last year. Um, there's no shift, and his primary, his two best pitches are his sinker and his changeup, both of which are ground ball pitches. Now, granted, uh, he throws a hundred mile an hour sinker that moves like the width of the entire plate, so I think he's going to be just fine. Um, and the Miami Marlins' defense, infield defense, with which is going to be more of an emphasis now with no shift. Is a candidate for the worst and most unathletic group of de- <laughs> like defenders in the entire league, um, but Sandy's really good, and I would I would I would feel good taking him where he's going because you can lock him in for 215 innings. Uh, he's like the ultimate accumulator uh, with with a low ERA. Um, he's still going to punch out 200 guys. He doesn't walk people. Like a sub one whip over two hundred and thirty innings is insane. It's insane how good that is. Just the wins is uh is concerning because they suck. And I would I would expect him to give up a little bit more runs than he did last year just from like those occasional ground balls that squeak through the infield with no shift because seriously he's got four cinder blocks behind him. So
1: yeah, I don't think I don't think anybody thinks he's going to put up a you know what a two 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 three ERA again. But I I agree. I still think he's going to be very good. Um, Fish, I know you were in on Sandy last year. Have you drafted him at all this year at the second round press?
0: Yeah, so Sandy's he's another guy that I think that I'd be if I did take a Degrom, he, I would pair him with somebody with, with like Sandy. Um, you know, I was in a $1,000 DC last year, which is a little bit nuts, but I was. And I took Sandy at the end of the second, and he was going usually like mid to late third. And uh, Vlad Sudler was in the league, and he texted me. He's like, you're crazy or something. And I was like, listen. And so that's what I told Vlad. He reminds me of like prime Madison Bumgarner. Not necessarily the same pitching style or anything like that. Not Not even close. But just the fact that the, the amount of innings, it eventually gets your strikeouts, your strikeout total up there. So, like, he had 207 strikeouts last year, which is pretty good. Sure, it took 228 innings to get there, but he still got over 200. And I don't think people realize how big of an impact on your ratios, like having that many innings is. Um, You know, he could potentially throw 100 more innings than DeGrom. So, as good as DeGram's ratios are, you're getting an additional 100 innings um from somebody like Sandy Alcantara. Um, now I haven't taken any Sandy yet this year and I'll tell you why. So going into last year, um, you know, we saw him have that nice stretch towards the end of the season in 2021 where he was striking guys out. So I was thinking, okay, there is the potential for that to carry over. And if it doesn't, then you still get basically what he did last year. Now, obviously a little, you know, performed a little bit with the, you know, the ratios, but um it was similar to what I kind of expected from him, like a lot of innings um, in good ratios. Um, so I guess what when it, when it comes down to is I watched a lot of the starts last year and it just kind of – you could tell that he was just trying to get deeper into games, which he kind of had to on this team, uh, just like uh, Diego said. Like he had to wheel them to victory essentially because the bullpen was terrible as usual and they barely scored any runs. So, uh, you know, Sandy had to go deep into games. So – but just watching, like there'd be like an O2 count, and he would just throw the hundred mile hour sinker right down the middle, like essentially just trying to get contact. And it's just, I'm like, come on, man, just throw a slider, like you're gonna swing and miss. You know, I'm just like dying for like a huge strikeout performance, and you know, we got a couple of those, but um, yeah, I think this is just kind of the pitcher he is. I don't think he's really looking to go out there and have 250 strikeouts. Um, I think he is trying to, you know, get as far in the games as possible. I don't think he wants to come out of the games ever. And the best way to do that is to get guys out in a hurry. So with that being said, um, I don't think the elite strikeout potential is there, but I do think um, that he is pretty much a lock for 200 plus innings with, with good ratios. I don't think it's going to be as good as it was last year. If you look at some of the numbers under the hood and stuff like that, like the BABIP, um, you know, the shift, uh, the, the shift change and stuff like that. So Uh, I do think that he's going to be 200-plus innings with with good ratios again. So um, I I definitely understand why people
1: are taking him. And – no, no, 100%. Um, I don't don't know if I'm going to take him that high, but uh, it's a toss-up for me. Diggs, real quick, do you think it's possible – because Sandy has strikeout stuff, and like Fish alluded to, he doesn't really pitch the strikeouts, he pitches the contact more. Do you think with the shift ban and how bad their infield defense is, do you think it's possible – that Sandy starts to pitch for more strikeouts next season? Um,
2: I mean, yes, it's possible because the stuff is, like you said, it's good enough. But I think it goes back to the thing where, like, man, I don't think guys that have success are, like, totally okay with just fully changing stuff around. I mean, he's coming mm-hmm. off like a Cy Young year where he was amazing. Um, and it worked for him. And it's honestly, if he if he did, if he does exactly the same things he does last year, he's going to be awesome again and be a Cy Young front runner. So it's possible. Like, if, he, if him and the Marlins go, hey, like, we're really bad and we need you to punch out 12 guys a game, like, he could probably do that. But there's probably, like, a human element to the fact that, like, the guy loves throwing seven, eight, nine innings. He probably loves dominating guys with a bunch of ground balls and being efficient. Like, I remember one start against the Padres. He was at 71 pitches in the fourth inning, and he came out of the game in the seventh with 100 pitches. That's, like, unbelievable. I was jumping up and down like, man, this guy's going to be done after five. We're going to win this game. The Marlins won the game, like, 2-1 to because he was so good, and he extended his outing. Um, So possible yes, probable no.
1: Okay, okay. Um, So on to the next guy, Spencer Strider. Uh, sixth off sixth pitcher off the board um he has he's like baby jacob de it's the same you know type of arm uh, just a ridiculous ridiculous fastball with an incredible slider that gets a ton of whiffs throws 100 miles an hour um again dave we'll start with you uh you know it's such a small track record um and given all the pitchers around him Do you think Strider belongs in this, like, elite class of some of the best arms in all of baseball going this high?
2: So I think he has elite stuff. um, And I think he is, like, one of the best arms in baseball. From a fantasy standpoint, I think I would take some of these guys uh, behind him, over him. Like, I would take Aaron Nola, who also has elite stuff. But is like has a proven track record of like throwing a bunch of innings. Uh Woodruff too. Um, I, I think Woodruff's gonna be awesome this year. I mean, he threw 180 innings in 2021. If he does that again with how good he is, um, I think he'll be better than Strider. Um, uh, you know, Dylan Cease, even I think I would take over Strider because I think he has a, just a better all-around arsenal um in terms of like they both have great stuff, but Cease does it with more. Um, so I do think Strider is really good. I just think the guys behind him are going to be better this year for fantasy purposes. You're going to get more out of them. Like, I mean, Spencer Strider struck out 202 guys in 130 innings last year. If he does that again this year, then he's Jacob DeGrom. Yeah. Basically what you said. I, I, I would, I would think like the league's going to adjust a little bit and then he'll have to readjust and he's going to be fine. But in a sophomore year, there's probably going to be, some struggles, I would think, at some point.
1: Um, now, again, real quick, um, because of your um, your injury concerns with Degrom against Strider, same type of pitcher, he, like averages ninety nine with the fastball. Are you not as worried about Strider because he doesn't have the wear and tear on his arm, or is it because he hasn't had those injuries yet? Um, I would say it's because he hasn't had those injuries yet.
2: Um, also Spencer Strider is like really, really strong. Um, like if you look at him, he's built kind of like a brick shithouse. Uh, and he's also extremely fluid mover, um, down the mound. So like now you're, you're talking about tacking on 20 to 30 pounds of like muscle, like his legs are enormous and he moves down the mound really well. He's extremely athletic. So all, all, all of that put together, like, I would feel more comfortable about that guy being able to shoulder consistently throwing super hard than Jacob DeGrom, who like, yes, he's an awesome mover, but he's on the skinny side of things. Um, Now that's not to say that, you know, Strider doesn't have a potential laundry list of injuries down the road, because again, you're going to see that with anybody that's regularly putting up triple digit fastballs. It's just inevitable. The body's not meant to move like for that to happen, but until it happens, I would I would just kind of bank on him being awesome and, and, and on the mound. I, I'm not worried about the injury last year, uh either. It's like a lap problem, like and we'll talk about that with, with McClanahan. Uh those things aren't like long-term red flags. It's not a shoulder and it's not an elbow. So
1: okay, okay. Um fish. I don't know. I don't know if you've drafted any Strider. I don't think you have. Um are you sort of in the same uh thinking as Diggs where you would take some of the guys going after Strider over him?
0: Yeah, I, I I generally play it safe in the first few rounds. Um I want guys with track records. Obviously Strider doesn't have the track record. Um and I would just be sure on a per inning basis Aaron Nola isn't as good as Strider, but give me the give me the pretty much locked in 200 innings from Nola on a good team, uh good offense, uh you know, a, hopefully a better bullpen give me, uh, give me Nola easily over strider.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with, I agree with you guys, but I just think strider has, um, I mean, yeah, you're not really looking for ceiling in the second or third round, but I think if strider gives us 150 innings this year, I do think he's a first round pick in 2024. So I have find my I have found myself drafting him a few times. Um, I think I have to stop drafting him so much because I, ha- I think I'm overexposed to him, but, um, the ceiling is just – and again, not that you guys are saying he doesn't have the ceiling, but I, I think the ceiling is a first-round pick, and um, I'll have him on some teams, though Nola is certainly safer. Um, Next guy off the board is Brandon Woodruff. I uh, already touched on him a little bit. Um, The command is just elite. The stuff is elite. K-minus walk is elite. Um, He had a little bit of a hiccup last year. He had a nerve injury um again digs you can touch on that i don't know if that's a concern long term but um when he came back he dominated his velo was in line with normal and he struck out 30 percent of the batters in his last 12 starts um woodruff to me is just a stud uh digs any thoughts on uh any more thoughts on brandon woodruff and again touch on um that injury that he had yeah
2: this it's like a weird injury because so it's like a circulatory issue um that reduces mm-hmm. like the blood flow to your arm. So it's like a numbness thing. Uh, like, you know, when you wake up in the morning and your hands are numb because you slept on them or something, it's like that, but like kind of a lot. Um, and it's in his pitching arm too. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm not really like super familiar with nerve issues. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but I mean, the guy's really good. And even in 153 innings last year, he was really good. Uh and he's about to get to the point where he's gonna hit arbitration and they're gonna have to pay him soon, him or Burns. Um so like you I mean, you you nailed it on the head. I mean, the stuff's elite, the command's elite. Um, he he's he's really good. I mean, I I don't know what to make of the injury. I really don't, uh, because I like with nerve stuff, it's like you, can you fix it i don't know i don't really know the extent of the human body that well but what i do know is that brandon woodruff's awesome uh so i would i think he's gonna be really good this year i think he's gonna finish this if he's on the mound as a top five guy this year i really do
1: yeah yeah I, I i'm sort of in the same line of thinking woodruff's just uh he's honestly just too good and again it's he like ended in, in healthy so
2: in 2021, he was awesome. Like you got 180 innings out of him. He struck out 210 guys. It was a low ERA. Uh, like the wins and losses were bad, but it was kind of fluky because this past year he was 13 and four. Like the year before he was nine and 10. Um, so, I mean, obviously wins is not a super great stat because it, it's it's really team dependent. Um, but like sub one whip. He, he doesn't really give up home runs, even though the brewers like, like American family field or whatever the hell it's called is, uh, is a pretty hitter friendly park. So if he's that guy, then absolutely. He's the top five guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and fish, why don't you start us off uh, with the next guy, Aaron Nola? Cause I know you're such a big fan. Um, obviously he's someone, uh, you want to draft in the third round. And I believe you said he's one of the better uh, values on the board. Why don't you um, further go into that?
0: Yeah. So kind of in conjunction with Woodruff, um, I really liked Woodruff a lot and looking into it. And I, and I still do like I, I don't see really any red flags except for the innings pitched um, 180, 179 in on the third in 2021. But it just kind of seems like there's always something 121 in 2019, 153 last year. Um, I still think Woodruff is completely worth the draft pick. I'm not overly concerned about it, but that's just, again, we're, you got to kind of split hairs up here when you're drafting in the top three rounds. So this is why I like Nola. Uh, he's got three seasons, over 200 innings, he's got four seasons, over 220 strikeouts. Um, this guy doesn't walk anybody, which means generally his whip is going to be, uh, pretty solid. It's literally exactly what I look for. Um, when I'm trying to, you know, essentially come up with my ACE and, um, yeah, I, to me, he's the biggest value on the board. I've seen him go a lot in the middle of the third, and that's just kind of crazy to me. Um, I think he should go, in, I think he should be a second round pick. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm all aboard the NOLA train. I want all the shares.
1: Yeah. In my current DC, I I started Jordan and then I took Tatis in the second and I was very happy to get Aaron Nola in the third round. as my SP one. Um, again, just such a reliable arm that has great stuff and great command, basically the same as Woodruff, but he, I don't think he's missed a start since 2017, which is just absurd. Um, so Diggs, I'll ask you a question that doesn't necessarily uh, relate to Nola. Someone like Nola, well, I mean, it does, but not like, Not just him, just pitchers in general. Nola hasn't missed a start since 2017. Does that make you worried that he's due for an injury going forward? Or does that make you more confident that he's going to stay healthy because he's been able to do it so many times?
2: Uh, I think it it makes me more confident that he's going to stay healthy. Uh, I mean, if Aaron Nola was 35 years old, then yeah, I I would be like, okay, he's probably going to break down here soon, but he's not even 30 yet um so i mean just consistently putting up that workload uh i would i would feel pretty good about him doing that again um i think he's awesome like i would echo everything that fish said i would take him basically oh in from a fantasy standpoint i would take him over every single guy we just talked about um instead of corbin burns and maybe maybe garrett cole uh the one thing with nola that's super weird i i don't get it because he's really good uh, he he's he hasn't had a winning season on the mound since 2019. Um, five and five in 2020, nine and nine in 2021, and 11 and 13 this past year. I I don't really get it. Um, he's really good, and the Phillies are really good. That just kind of seems like a bad luck thing to me. Um, but there's not much more I can add. The guy's a stud. So
1: yeah, yeah. Again, you guys touched it all. Uh, touched on all of it, Nolas ridiculously good and i agree that he should definitely be going higher um so next guy off the board is a little more polarizing and that's dylan cease um the stuff is amazing obviously he doesn't have this is like the first pitcher we've talked about other than otani although again Otani's only going so high because he's a hitter and a pitcher but all of these guys we talked about are really really good command guys even striders like average command but Cease is the first guy that is probably a little below average. Um, but Diggs, we'll we'll start with you. Does the does the fact that he walks a little bit more batters than average and struggles with command just a bit worry you with Cease, like taking him this high, or is the stuff just so good you don't care?
2: Uh, I would I would lean towards the I don't care. Um... So last year he did lead the league in walks, seventy-eight walks. He had a two-two-zero ERA with a three ten FIP. So I would expect that ERA to go up a little bit. But I mean, even having a two-two ERA with seventy-eight walks basically means that guys were on base a lot. Like he had a one-one WHIP, and he was so good that they didn't score. Um, He struck out two hundred twenty-seven guys in one hundred eighty-four innings. I mean, it's pretty absurd. And he doesn't give up home runs. So like. The guy's fine with guys on base. He doesn't give up home runs. Um I would expect the White Sox to be better this year. So he'll probably win more games. I mean, he was still 14 and 8 last year, so even if he does that again, you're still getting the wins. Um he just throws whiff like I I I really just don't get how how people hit this guy. So I I really wouldn't be worried. Uh I would expect the the ERA to go up I mean, it's just kind of like due for some regression. Like maybe he's probably, from an ADP standpoint, in a good spot. Like I would not take Dylan Cease over basically any of the guys we talked about. And there's a, one guy behind him that I would take over him right now. But as like the 10th guy, like the 10th pitcher off the board, that's probably like a good spot for me.
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Um, I, I, I think I'd rather have Rodon. And maybe Zach, I, I'm the high guy on Zach Wheeler. I like Zach Wheeler a lot. So I I would might take might Zach Wheeler over. over
2: him, so. I would take Zach Wheeler over him. too. So. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I just uh, Zach Wheeler is just such a ridiculously good pitcher. But we'll get on to we'll touch on that later. Um, Fish, what are your thoughts on Dylan Cease? I think he was he the first player you drafted in 2023? I believe. Well, technically 2022, <laughs> but 20, I think he might have been.
0: Yeah, this was the first the draft that Rob DiPietro put on and we drafted in August yeah we drafted in uh, sometime in August so it's kind of before Cease uh you know kind of struggled down the stretch a little bit um so Mm -hmm. I did take him at 15 overall which um you know I I don't hate it it's obviously too early but it's not not the end of the world really um I do think Cease is a candidate for 250 strikeouts uh you know we've seen his innings go from 165 in 2021 to 184 last year If he can somehow limit the walks a little bit, I think he can throw a few more innings. So I do think he's a candidate to get up to uh, 250 strikeouts. Now, the walks are obviously still an issue. 3.8 walks per nine last year. Um, It's generally something that I I really look at. But when you factor in that he was 11.1 case per nine and sub one home run per nine, the walks aren't going to hurt you as much now if there's any kind of you know regression on either one of those uh categories and the walks stay the same we could see some trouble for them. but um you know a 274 Babbitt obviously is uh you know pretty low um yeah i mean i am obviously still in on dylan C's. i do have a bunch uh, a bunch of shares early on uh, including that one where i took a 15 overall but i got a lot of my shares uh, at the two three turns so um the more I've dove into a lot of these pitchers, uh, the more I've realized I do have Brandon Woodruff ahead of them. I do have Aaron Nola ahead of them, So I have been getting less Cease, but I did get a the max pick so far on Dylan Cease in draft season. So um, a special shout out to uh, Toby Batflip Crazy for um, kind of <laughs> shitting on uh, Cease a little bit on a podcast, and all of a sudden he just fell to like towards the end of the fourth. So, <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was very happy to get that. So
1: well, we always we always appreciate that. Um, so Digs next guy off the board is Shane McClanahan. Um, again, this is sort of similar to um, not not similar to Woodruff, but because uh, it's a shoulder injury. But does the shoulder impingement that McClanahan had at the end of the season and the fact that he dropped slot concern you at all heading into this season? Or do you think it's just a you know a minor injury? I think you're muted, Dix. Well, I guess we lost Dix. <laughs> Um, I, I can start with McClanahan. Yeah, yeah, go Um, ahead. ahead.
0: I'm not, uh, I'm just not in on McClanahan. Um, I was out on him last year. Obviously that was, um, not the right decision, but, um, he obviously showed major, major improvement last year from the 2021 season, but yeah, the shoulder issue, uh, it's just, again, I don't like to take on very much risk in the early rounds. So, um, I'm definitely going to be out on McClanahan. What about you, Ryan?
1: Um, so I kind of am interested to hear what Deke says about the shoulder injury, because the skills are ridiculous. Um, he would be going higher if he didn't have that injury, I think, and he might be, I think he'd be going right ahead of Strider. Um, the K to walk is off the charts and it's sort of the same thing as a lot of these guys. The Kato walks off the charts, the stuff in command is ridiculous. McClanahan also had like all four of his pitches are really good. Um, but again, I just don't know. Again, I'm not a doctor. So I don't know if a shoulder impingement is an injury that lingers on or if it's like a big deal. I, I'm not. I'm just not really sure. So I guess that's why I haven't drafted him yet because I just want to see him, you know, be healthy in spring training and striking guys out, and then I'd probably be back in. Uh, I'll say
0: deep. one. I'll say one more thing about McClanahan. That another reason I'm kind of off him. Uh, 261 Babbitt last year, super low, and he he throws a lot of grown balls, so it's even. Kind of even more crazy that it was that low. Um, so yeah, that's uh that's another reason I'm kind of out.
1: Oh, Diggs, digs, we got to have you back. I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. We're good. We're good. Sorry that <laughs> exploded, but I think we're good.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so obviously, good. obviously obviously McLean is really good. Um, we saw that when like when he's on like last year was really, really good. The shoulder impingement concerns me a little bit. And it's because like an impingement happens when you have like repeated stress and repeated like activities to a part of the shoulder. And obviously when you pitch, you are repeatedly stressing your shoulder. Um, And that is especially amplified when you're throwing 98, 99 miles an hour. Now I will say it could be worse. It's not a rotator cuff injury. Um, Like it's not thoracic outlet syndrome. It's not his elbow. Uh, It's not like a major shoulder injury. It's just kind of a, it's an annoyance and it's probably painful for him. Uh, Now it's, it's not like a surgery thing. It's like a rest and and physical therapy thing. So it was uh, it's possible that like they nipped it in the bud and, and, and he's fine. But, you know, people talk about the uh the drop in the arm slot. They talk about his second half like struggles. Um, and I do think that was related to the injury. And if that happens again because like it's just so much stress because how, how hard he throws, uh, I would be I would be a little worried about taking clanahan Um I think it's like kind of a wait and see how he is in the spring training thing. I think one of you guys said that. Um
1: yeah, and you know
2: if if he's coming out pumping and he looks good and 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 everything is like kind of what he was last year, then then maybe you'd take him there. But it's just kind of a little concerning uh, with a guy that throws that hard having shoulder problems already. It's like kind of a red flag for me.
1: So on to the next guy, uh, Carlos Rodon. Um, oh, here we go. Yes. <laughs> here we go. Now, skill skills wise, he is um, he is off the charts. Um, he might even belong in the Burns-Cole-DeGrom tier, uh, similar to McClanahan. But he also has a very, very long track record uh, of injuries up until the last two seasons. Um, so Fish, we'll start with you. Uh, have you drafted any Carlos Rodon? Do you think he belongs here? Do you think he should be going higher? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so this is a guy that's um, obviously creeping way up the, the ADP board since we first drafted. Um, you know, we, we talked about the Rob D draft in August. Well, uh, as early as I took Cease, I was able to get Carlos Rodon in the sixth round. So, um, you know, I guess Be- everything evens out. It.
1: Yeah, so yeah. everything
0: evens out, right? Um, yeah, no, there's obviously – it's it's literally just injury concern with Carlos Rodon. If you don't think he's going to get hurt, you should be hammering him in drafts taking him all the time uh i mean he's ridiculous he's got you know 237 strikeouts in 178 innings last year like that's insane um 95th percentile k percent you know the whip 1.03 and now he's going to be pitching for the yankees um a, a really good team there's uh there's a lot to like about Rodon. i do have a few shares already am i willing to pull the trigger on in Early third round, which is where I think he's going to be going as we get closer to March. Um, It could be tough to do that because then, you know, he's going to be kind of around the Aaron Nola range. So um, I would take Nola over him. Uh, You know, if Nola's gone, Woodruff's gone. I I started with two hitters and I need a pitcher. um, I would probably take him and I'd be okay with it. I would just be praying for health.
1: Um. So, Diggs. I know we touched on McClanahan with the shoulder injury. Rodon's been healthy the last two seasons, but his long track record of shoulder and elbow issues does that concern you about Rodon at all? And then, of course, go into how awesome you think he is. Uh,
2: no, because kind of like the he's like shown he could stay healthy the last two years. Um, obviously, like it'll always be in the back of your head, like man, this guy was, like, the one of the more injury-prone players in, like, baseball. But I think he's done it. He's done it for two years now. He threw 180 innings last year. I would feel pretty good about that guy uh, staying healthy. He's extremely competitive. Um, like, if you watch him pitch, he's got that, like, mother effer mindset um i would think that that guy even though he got paid is still gonna do everything he can to make sure he, st- he stays on the mound um in terms of how good he is man you can make a case that he's been like one of the best pitchers in baseball for the last like each of the last two seasons i mean there's really nothing he doesn't do he strikes guys out a lot <laughs> um led the league in caper nine last year i'm pretty sure. He doesn't give up home runs. I I think how low his home run per nine is is probably attributed to pitching in San Francisco. But, I mean, even then, like, he still doesn't give up home runs. I I thought it was kind of asinine that people were saying that he was going to give up more home runs because he's going to Yankee Stadium. Um, I don't think it really matters. He's not Garrett Cole, where he has that, like, perfectly optimized uh, fastball that if he misses, like, it's going to get hammered. He really mostly relies on – the best slider in baseball, I think. And while also throwing super hard, he's left-handed. And it comes out of kind of like a weird angle to where it's probably even more of a nightmare for hitters to pick him up, which is why he's so good. Um, you're going to get the innings. Like if if he gives you 170 uh, with how good he is, uh, he doesn't walk guys. He doesn't give up home runs. Uh, he plays on a good team. And I think he's the best pitcher on his team. Uh, there's a lot to like. There's there's a lot to like for Carlos Rodon. For One thing
0: I'm seeing, uh, and it's I think it might be correlated with his success. Is, I mean, as long as as well as staying healthy, uh, his fastball. He's gained like two miles an hour on his fastball the last couple of seasons. Um, does anybody know? Did he go to like drive line or like how how
2: was he able to manage that? Just the just a healthy shoulder for a change. Is that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think really I think is? I don't really know anything like if he's gone to drive line or any of the other you know millions of pitching labs that are really good out there. I, I would – if he didn't, I would definitely attribute it to like just the healthy shoulder thing. And honestly, that would also be a testament to probably how pretty competitive and crazy this guy is in, in the offseason. To add two miles an hour on, on a fastball it's already pretty hard, like that's really impressive for me. Um I love him. I love him a lot. I was really hoping the Padres would just give him the bag. I, I couldn't care if they did – like about Xander Bogarts, if they got Carlos Rodon because I think he's one of the best arms in baseball.
1: Yeah, I definitely can't argue with you there, and that's pretty interesting. You'd take uh, – I think Carlos Rodon is better than Garrett Cole. Not that I necessarily disagree, but I think that's um, that's not really a take. You hear that often, and I, um, I love it. Uh, so next guy off the board is Justin Verlander. And now Verlander is 39 years old. We get that, and he's coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, it's now his second year off Tommy John surgery in the second half of the season, though, he sort of went. So his strikeouts were a little bit down on the air as a whole. But in the second half of the uh, second half of the season, he went back to his old self and had a 32% K and a 4% walk his last 13 starts. Like, yeah, even though he's 40 years old, this guy is still ridiculously good at pitching. And he's just a guy that's going to, you know, outpitch his peripherals just because of, you know, how, the elite his command is and how you know just good he is as a pitcher. Um and fish will start with you this time. Um have you found yourself drafting um we can kind of clump him and Scherzer together. Have you found yourself drafting either of the like old guys in this group? I have not
0: taking I have not taken any Verlander yet. Um there's obviously a lot to like about him though, right? It's just uh, uh I've, I, w- I would take Scherzer over him, and that's basically the only reason why. Also, a lot of my drafts, I have had you know guys like Cease has been there, and I would take Cease over Verlander. Um, guys like uh, Rodone has, has been there, so I would take him over Verlander. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just a little hesitant. Obviously, I didn't have any shares last year. I don't think anybody saw the season coming from him that he just uh, put up. But, yeah, as of right now, I don't have any Verlander. I think – it's just going to be another one of those situations where I'm going to get off a year early. Uh, I'd rather be off a year early than a year late. But there's, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, that could be a huge mistake. I, I like the park that he's pitching in now. It's a, it's definitely a pitcher's park. So, you know, that's that's really nice uh, for him. And it's obviously going to be a good team with uh, a good bullpen. So, you know, the wins should be there. So, yeah, maybe I'll grab a share here um, at some point. But as of right now, yeah, I don't have any
1: uh digs i'll throw it over to you um does verlander's age um concern you at all or are you confident in him you know just going out there and uh, defying all odds as a 40 year old arm
2: i think you would be a a fool to think that his age isn't concerning i mean he's 40 years old and he's been pitching for a really 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 long time it's kind of like the thing we talked about earlier like with nola like if Nola was 35 and was throwing 200 innings every year, I'd be a little worried. Uh, that's kind of the Verlander thing. He's got so many innings under his belt for his career. On the other hand, like what he did last year was pretty unbelievable. Honestly, like I, like Fish said, nobody would have seen that coming. I, I think people would have thought he would have been good, but uh, you can make a case that like statistically he was the best pitcher in the game last year. Um, he doesn't walk anybody. Uh, he's not really giving up that many. I mean, he's still giving up a lot of home runs, but it's like last year he didn't at all for his career he has. But last year, less than a home run per nine. Uh, zero walks with a bunch of strikeouts, uh, 175 innings, and a 175 ERA. Uh, he's on the mats. They're good. It's a good ballpark. They're going to win games. I don't think he's going to be what he was last year, but I think he's going to be a 2-5 ERA guy that's going to punch out over a batter per nine and probably win a bunch of games. And certainly the Mets think so because they paid him a bunch of money over Jacob DeGrom. So I'm actually the opposite. I would lean to take Verlander over Scherzer. I'm pretty concerned about Scherzer. Um, I know he's younger, but it's back-to-back seasons with where he hasn't been able to finish the year. Uh, You know, the year with the Dodgers, he was basically not playing because the dead arm thing. And last year, like he did finish the year, I should say, but he had that oblique injury, which at his age kind of concerns me a lot. Um, Just there's a bunch of mileage on that arm. Uh, And like his delivery has always, always, always been super efforty, like to the point where like this is going to catch up to him at some point. And I think it is like I would expect him and I'm I'm not a doctor, but I would expect him to miss some time last uh this year. He only threw 145 innings last year. Now, granted, when he's on the mound, he's awesome. He was really, really good last year. I just think that like we're probably leaning towards the 120 to 130 inning range with Max Scherzer, um, because of all all so many factors, honestly.
1: So, no, I could totally see why um why you would say that. Um, again, last year. Like I said, he had the oblique injury in the year before the dead arm, um, and he was actually pretty bad. Not like at the end of the year, but down the stretch, um, he didn't look like himself in the series against the Braves, and then in the playoffs, um, he was
2: definitely injured against the Padres in the playoffs. I would like, I I know, like I don't know if if anybody has come out and said that, but and I've been watching that guy pitch for a decade and he was a hundred percent hurt against the Potter whether it was the oblique still bothering him. Like he looked so bad in that, uh, in that first game.
1: Yeah. And he looked like that in the series against the last series. Um, it wasn't the last series of the season, but it was last maybe last or second to last week of the season against the Braves, where that was like a playoff series basically. And he, I think he gave up four home runs just got absolutely tattooed and, um, and, again, that doesn't mean – we're not saying he's going to be bad next year, but, again, to your point, um, may not expect the health that he's shown uh, over the course of his career. Yeah, uh,
0: I took – so I just took my first share of Scherzer, um, mm-hmm. and the only reason I really did, and I and I thought about this um, mm-hmm. before I actually selected him, but I don't think he's going to throw – he's going to probably spend some IL time, um, I would imagine. But the reason I took him is because I went with a pitcher heavy approach, and I took – Burns and Cole at the, at the one, two turn. And then Scherzer is my SP three. I figure if Scherzer can give me 130, 140 innings of elite ratios, the, the two horses up top, just, you know, that's three, that's three pitchers with elite ratios um and a, and a ton of strikeouts. So um, Scherzer is definitely not a huge target for me, but that is, uh, that's the reason I took him.
1: No, I mean, that's a perfect build to have him in. Right. um, So, we got two more guys to talk about. Let's talk about uh, number 14 off the board, Zach Wheeler. Diggs, we'll throw to you first. Wheeler suffered an elbow injury at the end of the season. I think it popped up again in the playoffs, but was still in the upper 90s in his last game six of the World Series. He was sitting 97, touching 99. Um, Is that something you could possibly do if even slightly injured? Um, Is his elbow injury at all a concern for you going into the season?
2: So you and I kind of talked about this last night. Um, And again, I'm I'm not an, I'm not an expert on any injuries, but man, I, I get the adrenaline thing in the playoffs. Like I do. I like, that's why people are, you know, like are up in velocity. And it was kind of like the Joe Musgrove thing. Like the guy was throwing harder and he was spinning it better and, I think you could attribute that in one start, like a game three do or die uh, to adrenaline and like the juices flowing. The deck booter suffered an elbow injury at the end of the year and then proceeded to pitch an entire playoff stretch, throwing upper nineties the entire time, basically Um, again, not an expert. I don't know how that would be possible if it was like a serious elbow injury. Like if he had like, like, you know, like a torn UCL or probably honestly even a strained UCL or, or something like, I don't know, man. I, I, I just don't, that would be like kind of defying human nature uh, to do that yeah. consistently. Um, so if, if, if I believe that to be true, then I would, I would be all in kind of on Zach Wheeler uh, when, when he's like so good. Uh, you're getting the innings you're you're going to get strikeouts it, again it's it's kind of similar to him and Aaron Nola just kind of pick which one you want they're pretty they're pretty close in terms of production uh yeah I mean that's that's really all I have I I think he's gonna be fine I do
1: yeah I think Wheeler is um is one of the better values on the board um he's just I think he belongs in that ace tier and he's been so ridiculously good the last two seasons. Uh, the command's elite, the fastball's elite, and he's got plus breaking pitches. Um, and again, I because of the velo uh, towards the end of the season in the playoffs, I'm not worried about the elbow injury. Uh, Fish, what are your thoughts on uh, Zach Wheeler and that elbow injury?
0: Uh, I'm not overly concerned about it. Um, there's a lot to like with Wheeler, though. I mean, he obviously doesn't, um, you know, his, his walks are uh, generally pretty solid, around 2. Uh, per nine, there's um, you know, his, his ear, his whip have been good, uh, for you know, th- two seasons now. Um, uh, a lot of starts. We had some concern with Wheeler coming into the season last year because during the lockout or uh, the stoppage or whatever you want to call it, um, we didn't even realize it, but he had like a shoulder issue. Um, but with no news, you know, we didn't find that out until um, you know, the, the lockout had ended and they were you know, kind of getting back into in form, but. Um, yeah, no, there's a lot to like about Wheeler. I think he's a good, good uh, value on the board right now. I don't have any shares yet, but that's basically just because where he's, where he's kind of going, um, like middle of the fourth round. I'm generally, I usually already have, uh, a starting pitcher or two. And I'm in that range. I'm usually trying to grab like a closer or uh, a bat. So I don't have any shares yet. Wheeler, I guess it's, it's going to, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Um, as we get closer to the season, I don't know if he's gonna. He could be a guy that goes down. He could be a guy that moves up. So um, if he's throwing perfect and looks good in spring training, I think he's gonna shoot up. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I don't know. We'll uh, we'll see where he goes.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a chance uh, he shoots up just because I don't know. At least in my opinion, he's just such a good pitcher. I'm so comfortable taking Zach Wheeler because of uh, my confidence in him. Uh, so the last pitcher we're gonna talk about today is Shane Bieber. Uh, Bieber, to me, is interesting because uh, he gets hit so hard, especially his fastball, and over the course of his career, he came into the big leagues sitting 93. In 2018, average fastball VLO 93, 2019 93. I don't think you can look at 2020 because it's not a season. It's only two months. So you go over to 2021, again, averaging 93 with the fastball VLO. Last year, it went down to 91 So that's a drop in two miles an hour of of fastball velocity. Uh, Diggs, we'll throw it over to you for the last guy we're going to talk about. Um, What are your thoughts on Bieber, and does the drop in velocity being two miles an hour concern you moving forward, considering he's only 27 years old, for someone that's 27 to just magically lose two miles an hour on their fastball?
2: Um, I mean, it's like a little concerning because it's like, again, how you said it's a 27 year old in the prime of his athletic career, losing velo on his fastball when he shouldn't be, there's probably like an underlying cause there. Like on the other hand, he hasn't, the, the guardians haven't, he hasn't any any surgery. So it's like, can you remedy that with physical therapy and rest and, 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 and strength recovery and, Um, get that back to what it was probably if it wasn't something that required him to get an operation Um, even with that though I mean he was really good last year like 288 ERA Mm -hmm. with basically an identical FIP um, under a strikeout per nine which is not the type of pitcher that I really like taking especially with like you said he gets hit pretty hard Um, I I think he's a candidate to throw his fastball even less Um, I think it's like for Bieber to have success, he's going to have to go the U Darvish route where he's regularly pitching backwards. He's regularly throwing, you know, all of his off-speed pitches and then mixing the fastball in to kind of keep guys off balance and 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 remind them that he still has this fastball. Uh, but he's a guy that doesn't have, like, really crazy loud stuff. It's going to have to be, okay, I have to spot this up in, in the right spot to get out. And he's good at that but um that like that can worry with an injury like that can come and go that the, there can be starts where he's not hitting his spots and he gets blown up so it's like kind of not a great all-around profile but he produces he's kind of always produced the guardians are a good team uh, they have a really good defense behind him probably one of the best in the game both infield and outfield um they don't play the best of competition within their own division uh, and even then, the American League outside of the American League East is kind of down as a whole. And now he's going to get to pitch probably against some accumulation of the Pirates, the Reds, the Rockies, the Giants, the Marlins, the Nationals, I would think, with the whole cross league thing. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I think he's going in a good spot. I know we're not talking about him, but Gosman is behind him. I would take Gosman. I think Gosman's really, really good. Um, and just has a better profile, one that I like more. But Bieber's still good, and he's produced. So,
1: yeah, yeah, and, and I, agree, I agree with you there. I would take Osman over Bieber, but Bieber, you know, has the track record. And as long as, uh, I guess, as long as the Velo doesn't keep going down, it shouldn't be too much of a concern. Um, but you know, he did, he made it work last year. So, uh, Fish, why don't you uh, finish this off? What are your thoughts on uh, thoughts on Bieber?
0: Yeah, he's, uh, he's really interesting. Um, the strikeouts obviously disappeared, but he's still around, you know, nine K per nine, about a K an inning. Uh, the ratios were really good. Uh, two, eight, eight, ERA, one Oh four whip that's solid 200 innings though. Like that's, um, you would think if there was some kind of an injury that was factoring into the, the drop in the K's that he wouldn't have thrown 200 innings, but he did throw 200 innings. So it's like, what do we make of him for this upcoming season? Um, I like the price, uh the four or five turn. I do agree, with the guys I would take Gossman over him. But if you wait on starting pitching, um, you know, and you're at that four or five turn, you could possibly go Bieber and Gossman. Uh, you know, if you go three hitters to start or two hitters and a, a closer, you know, depending on kind of what you want to do. Um I, yeah, it's uh it's very interesting. Bieber's not a huge target. I think I have one share, but it's it, I don't know if he's going to throw 200 innings with those ratios and you know a K in inning like
2: that's that's a tremendous value where he's going. But I know, think I would course. probably also take Julio Urias over him simply because uh, his ratios are unreal good. He plays for the Dodgers and he's going to win a, a bunch of games. I mean, he won 17 games last year with an ERA. Close to one with a sub one whip. Now he, they both didn't strike out that many guys, and Beaver threw twenty five more innings, so that's probably the equivalent of uh, four four starts more. But I mean, seventeen wins with those numbers, like playing with the Dodgers, I would I would probably lean Urias that in that way too.
0: Yeah, they're they're actually kind of a similar profile a little bit i guess like they don't wow you with all their stuff but they they produce with you know some good elite ratios and uh and they're both pretty solid in the wins category but yeah obviously he is pitching for the dodgers uh definitely would would bump him over bieber for me as well
1: yeah well i think that um well that wraps it up you know we talked about top 15 starters uh digs thanks so much man for uh, hopping on the pod and talking pitching uh you crushed it you know, I think you're going to, I don't know, talk to some people some things and uh, gave us your thoughts, did a really good job. Um, why don't you, uh, you know, I don't know if you care, but why don't you tell people where uh, you can find them on Twitter because so I know you don't do any fantasy content anymore.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you want to drop me like a courtesy follow just from, you know, <laughs> being a cool guy, uh, it's at DeegsBaseball on Twitter. Um, that'd be cool. But, no, I mean, I, I appreciate you guys having, like, 90 minutes to step away from everything and just talk about pitching. I, I could do this every day. So it was it was fun. It was awesome. I appreciate you guys having me.
1: Of course, man. Anytime.
0: Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks for coming on, Diggs. We appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We're going to go to the next 15 to 20 pitchers on the next pod, and will um, it will it'll probably be just Ryan and I breaking it down. But, um, yeah, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch everybody next time. Thank you for once again tuning in to another episode. Ryan and I really appreciate the support. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Pile of Dial. Ryan is at Ven underscore Armbarn. In the words of the Living Legend 50 Cent, If it ain't making me money, making me better, or making me happy, I ain't got time for it. Peace!